Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Look who is, is talking about civilian casualty, yeah. the masters of civilian casualty. Israel is this entity where the law does not apply. There is this oriental savagery that they're evoking in a lot of their commentary. What's the end game here? Animosity towards Gaza in particular is more than anywhere else because that's where the most resistance comes from. The Western propaganda machine is in full motion. On my way in today, I saw a concerted effort on the front pages of British newspapers with zero evidence that Hamas has beheaded 40 babies last week. This was repeated on the BBC and has been picked up by media influencers. On a greater scale, it seems to me that Israel, aided by the West, are conditioning Western public opinion for a final solution, the effective expunging of Gaza from the map. This slow, steady war machine is exceptionalizing Palestinian violence, real or concocted, to further its aims. This is the Iraq war all over again. To help us understand this subtle propaganda machine, it is my pleasure to have Moazem Beg on the show. Moazem Beg is a former Guantanamo Bay detainee and senior director for the UK-based campaigning group CAGE. Mu'azzam Beg, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome back to the wa program. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and my pleasure to be here with you again. Well look, jazakallah khair for joining us at such short notice. Um, today we want to talk about the events last Saturday. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that's uh, uh, moving forward at a very rapid pace. Uh, we're speaking today on Wednesday after the, uh, the, uh, the Hamas attacks, let's call them, on... Um, on uh, outside of Gaza. But what I want to focus on today is the propaganda effort we've witnessed since Saturday. Now, it seems to me that this propaganda is pretty subtle. It's a subtle endeavor. Can you please just explain from your side what you've witnessed in this past week? Yeah, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, I've been relatively shocked, and it's not easy to shock me based on things that I've seen in the past in terms of the dehumanization process yeah. of Muslims. But literally, the uh, Palestinian resistance, uh, they're saying it's Hamas, but they actually mean all of people in Gaza mm. are animals. And as a result of them being labeled by uh, Israeli uh, senior uh, um, administrators yeah. and military people, 
as animals, uh, they have said that they will cut off gas, cut off electricity, which they have done already, cut off water and no food. Now, Gaza is already besieged. It has the sea on one side, Egypt, which is a small corridor on the other side, and Israel on the other. Mm. And to besiege and then to cut off food and most basic supplies, including aid, which the Israelis have threatened to bomb if it comes through the Al-Arish um, side in Egypt, mm. is openly declaring that you're intending to and are carrying out war crimes. The part of the propaganda of this is that because you have, we have said that you are baby killers and that you are rapists, because those are the two major allegations against them, mm. um, then there are no rights for you at all and you will be obliterated. And for that to be carried on our newspapers, on British newspapers, who claim to have the highest global standards of, um, of media scrutiny, mm. the source of the story where, the, where the, uh, it's been alleged that 40 babies were beheaded is one person talking to one uh, media outlet without any verification at all, without any photographic evidence, without any witnesses, and with attempts being made by various media organizations who haven't parroted the same story to ask the American military, uh, the, the Israeli military, can you confirm? And they have three times on three occasions said we cannot confirm at this point. Yeah. Uh, can you, I mean, for our international viewers, uh, they may not know that all of the British, most of the British press this morning had that uh, 40 babies were beheaded by Hamas uh, on their front pages. Uh, many of them just had it in, in quotes. Uh, so to, to claim that it was an allegation rather than fact. Um, but this story was debunked maybe a couple of hours. I think it was a Turkish news agency, another Lu agency, which uh, spoke to a senior Israeli official who said there's just no evidence for that. So even Israelis debunked it. Why did they proceed with the story, do you think? Well, unfortunately, and this is really the sad part about this, is that you have the, uh, the Goebbels theory, the mm. uh, Nazi theory, which is known as the, the big lie. And the big lie is that the bigger the, the lie is, the more often it's repeated, the more people will believe it. Now, that was the lies and the, the, the kind of propaganda of the Nazis. For the Zionist and Israeli state that was born out of that, yeah. to take that on is truly, truly shocking. Why the British media would do so, knowing that if it comes back and they find that the story is entirely debunked, it doesn't really matter. What are they, who, is Hamas going to take them to court? Yeah. Are they going to be uh, taken to court for defamation? No one's going to care because now they're an entity that's at war with, uh, with uh, 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 a strong ally of, of Britain. Yeah. So this reminds us of the type of language that has come in past conflicts when Muslims in particular have been demonized, whether it's they all or a fifth of them support ISIS, or whether it's weapons of mass destruction that are looming going to uh, destroy the West. Mm. It's from the same um, playbook that we can create this hype. And in the end, if we're wrong, there will be no accountability. You were a, um, a prisoner in Guantanamo Bay. And I, if I remember right, prior to that, you were kept in Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, the Americans, they labeled um, 
uh, all Muslims, all Taliban or non-Taliban suspects as unlawful combatants, if I remember right. Uh, is there a an example? Is there a an overlap here with with Gaza? Are they trying to dehumanize them in order to pervade, portray them as almost subhuman, or at least the rules of war do not apply to these so-called savages in order to uh, brutalize, if not expunge, the entire population? Well, you know what's happened is that Hamas has carried out, as far as they're concerned, a military operation. Hmm. In that, it's possible, and I think we can't deny that it's possible, that civilians may have been killed. Yeah. Um, but look who is is talking about civilian casualty, yeah. the masters of civilian casualty, the masters of collateral damage, that to get one person, they'll kill 100. And the United States has done that in the war on terrorism. Israel has done that since its birth. Yeah. Um, so if this is a military operation that is being carried out by the Israelis, then it should be carried out under the laws of war. Mm. And to express, see the difference here is, is, is that I've never heard this before, is to express the intention to carry out war crimes. I've not heard that before. With the belief that there will be complete impunity. No one's going to hold us to account for this. And the reason why is because the enemy we're fighting is as equal to or worse than ISIS. Mm. Now, we can analyze what's the difference between Hamas and ISIS in ideology yeah. and also in um, methodology. But anybody who's to scratch the surface, anybody who understands both organizations will know that they are worlds apart. Mm -hmm. um, but as they say, don't let the facts get in the way of a good demonization. Yeah, um, I get the impression that, as you said, they're dehumanizing the Palestinians. There is this oriental savagery that they're evoking in a lot of their commentary. What's the end game here? Why do they want to portray Hamas as these subhuman savages, do you think? Uh, it's absolutely crystal clear to me. If you look yeah. back at the history of the Palestinian conflict, yeah. every single resistance movement, whether it's secular, uh, such as uh, Fatah and the Palestine Liberation Organization, whether it's the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is leftist, or whether it's the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Paris, Palestine, mm. or whether it's Islamic Jihad and Hamas. The common factor between all of them is that they are all resistance group who believe in armed resistance, and every single one of them has been labeled by the Israeli government and by the Western governments yeah. as a terrorist entity, meaning that fighting occupation, which is enshrined within international law and within Islamic law, the right to defend yourself and to the right to fight against occupiers, um, has all of a sudden been done away with because Israel is this entity where the law does not apply, where rules, ordinary rules that the rest of the world um, is supposed to live by, they don't apply. And that's because Israel has an end game of taking control of the entirety of Palestine. And anyone who resists uh, needs to be obliterated. That's why the animosity towards Gaza in particular is more than anywhere else, because that's where the most resistance come from. Mm -hmm. There have been um, some liberals in the press talk about how the uh, Hamas is effectively scored an on go here by engaging in this, in this military operation. It's in effect given the Americans and the British carte blanche or a, uh, you know, an excuse to allow uh, Israel to act with impunity. And they evoke Gandhi and they evoke Martin Luther King as examples that the Palestinians 
should be modeling uh, rather than violent resistance struggles. Um, I mean, what's your perspective on, on that? You know, would the Palestinian cause be better if they modeled themselves on these pacifist um, uh, uh, characters? Well, you know, pacifism has its place. Mm. Um, but when you have an aggressive, brutal, uh, militaristic enemy such as the Zionist state of Israel, mm. which has been in recent months, in recent years, yeah. um, described as an apartheid state or a state that operates, operates apartheid policies by Amnesty International, by Liberty, by Human Rights Watch, uh, when it's a state that's known to target children, uh, what uses administrative detention to hold people without charge or trial, uh, whether it's the, uh, the targeting of young people, of half of whom uh, constitute the population of, of uh, Gaza, uh, meaning they have no mercy upon the children. Mm. I think that, uh, as they say, they've tried every other avenue. And when you're besieged and starved and are dependent upon your sworn enemy for things like gas and electricity and basic uh, survival, then what do you do when you have seen the systematic displacement of your people? If you look at the settler colonies building right next door to Gaza mm. and have essentially occupied the whole of what's left of Palestine. You see those um, famous photographs or pictures, images of Palestine 1947-73-and-now-and-you-can-see-it's-gone-from-an-entire-state-to-little-pockets-three-little-pockets-around-the-entire-region. So-it-tells-you-everything-that-you-need-to-know-and-everybody-knows-what's-happening-and-there-have-
um, powerful Western or Eastern military backers, if they did, mm. then Israel wouldn't be attacking them in this way. They'd be afraid. They'd actually be afraid that these guys have firepower. Mm. I mean, the Israelis have about 650 aircraft, of which I think something like 250 are fighter jets. Mm. The Palestinians, their air force is um, motorized hand gliders. That's their air force. Mm. So you can see the disparity in all of this. And most people, they recognize, they see that there's a brutality against the people, but those vested in power and vested in the supporting and propping up of the state of Israel are Western governments, and they don't really care what, their people, what the people say in relation to Palestine. Awesome. I, I've seen on, on the internet a number of Muslims have just been taken aback by just how duplicitous the West is. Uh, Joe Biden yesterday went on a tirade on, on Twitter. I think he, he tweeted out two or three tweets where he, he called the, uh, the Palestinians or Hamas as he likened them to ISIS and they were savages. Um, and, and they've been taken aback by just how horrible or how intense that Western response has been in support for Israel. I mean, what do you think is behind uh, this, uh, you know, no holds barred, this complete green light they've given to Israel? I mean, look, Hamas in and of itself is the political wing and Azzuddin al-Qassam is the military wing. So if you have a political wing, mean it means, therefore, that you have politics and you have diplomacy and that you want to talk to governments, and you do, and you have been. And that's what Hamas had been doing. Uh, of course, it had been uh, labeled a, a banned terrorist organization by Britain uh, just last year. Yeah. But prior to that, they were engaged in politics and constantly. So to say, well, they're the same about ISIS. Well, where was ISIS's political wing? It didn't have one. Yeah. So it's very easy just to scratch the surface and to, to, to uh, kind of settle, to take that apart. But in the end, this all comes back down. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm. It doesn't matter who, which entity you are. If you're a Muslim and you believe in self-determination and fighting occupation from a Western-supported um, enemy, you are a barbarian Muslim and you are less than human. And I know this from a personal experience when the Americans, when they hold us, held us, uh, they literally said that you are less than human. Really? Literally, they said that you are not uh, prisoners of war, you are not civilians, you are, you are um, enemy aliens. Literally, that's the terminology they use. Enemy aliens, meaning something from outer space, something that's not human, mm. and something that's the enemy. Right. Tell me about, you mentioned uh, Vladimir Zelensky in one of your responses, and, and there does seem to be an, an enormous duplicity in the way Western liberals treated uh, the Ukraine crisis and how they treat the Palestinian crisis. And I don't think, I used to think it was ignorance, but I actually don't think anymore it's ignorance. I mean, you've got you know, very well-versed, very knowledgeable broadcasters like Sheila Fogarty and you know, uh, James O'Brien on LBC, you know, who were, during the Ukraine crisis, every show was about the Ukrainians and their fierce struggle and, and how they've stood up to the uh, war machine of the Russians and how they're, response is legitimate, yet they can't find a similar feature there in, in the Palestinian crisis. Um, you know, how do you understand that duplicity? Then? Well, one of the things that, again, I guess I'm not shocked, um, that we'd hoped that perhaps there may have been a scintilla 
mm-hmm. of uh, understanding and association that if somebody is fighting an occupier, I also show solidarity with that oppressed people who are fighting the occupier. Yeah. But here Zelensky shows very clearly that his sympathies lie with the occupier. And again, so to be absolutely crystal clear, uh, the territories that are held by, by or adjacent to where the Israelis are have been described under international law as the occupied territories. It's not a, it's not, it's, it's not a mantra people are throwing around. These are actually occupied lands. And so for him then to say uh, that I side with the oppressed Israelis mm. who are fighting terrorism, um, well, that's what Russia calls you. Russia calls Ukrainians, especially in the Donbass region yes. and the Crimea region, yes. which has a large number of Russians in there, have said that the Ukrainians came and forced themselves and terrorized this region. Mm. Therefore, they had to come and assist them. And so they regard you as terrorists and they regard you as as usurpers and Western-backed um, abusers. So why should, if you can't show consistency, why should anybody back you, especially from the Muslim world? Yes. And I think that because of that, it's going to be hard for people in the Muslim world because nobody, hardly anybody from the Muslim world, even those who are now seeking some kind of a um, normalization with Israel, Hardly anyone has condemned the Palestinians and all have said something in relation to the brutality of the Israelis. So it's kind of put a, it's thrown a gauntlet down um, for a lot of the Muslim countries. Again, the Western media is very superficial in a way it views this conflict. But one, um, uh, I don't know if it's a, well, I, I think it's a, it's a dominant narrative, especially in the American press that seems to come through is that, well, the... Um, uh, Muslim populations or the Arab populations have really given up on the Palestinian cause and now they're signing the Abraham Accords and normalization and Saudi Arabia is next. And uh, even with this, even with, with this intention that of the of Mohammed bin Salman to sign uh, the, the normalization with, with Israel, there hasn't really been the type of disagreement on the streets of the Arab world. And so you know, the argument is that they've moved on and now Israel is a permanent fixture in the Middle East and, and uh, these states have, have resigned themselves to the real politic and, and decided that they're going to work with Israel. I mean, you know, is that a, an accurate explanation of what you see of the Muslim masses? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, even to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe yeah. there is a sense in, in, the, uh, in the minds of some of people within the Gulf, for example, is that this... this this animosity needs to end. The war needs to end. We need to have, uh, we need to have peace. Let's just say that's the, that's the, their uh, rationale. Mm-hmm. But what they've seen now is how do you have peace with a usurper, an occupier, a, a torturer? Yeah. Um, how do you do that? How do you, is that not capitulation and is that not handing over to um, the the entity that has carried out a mass of war crimes and as I said, the, the test, the litmus test here has been, well, okay, what do you do now when there's conflict? Yes. You're trying to normalize that, what do you do now? And I've seen from countries like Saudi Arabia and others, pretty strong straight statements um, against the Israelis and what they've done. So this tells you that the attempt to normalize cannot be at the expense of taking the wrong side in the conflict. Mm. How do we combat this war machine. I mean, 
you know, if we we are to connect the dots and say the front pages of the papers this morning, Joe Biden's speech, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan gives a, a similar speech yesterday. Uh, Keir Starmer at the party conference yesterday talks about you know how uh, Israel has a right to self defense. So they're all singing from the same hymn sheet, and you know the the major press. The, all of the media outlets are really anti-Palestinian at this stage, and and as you said, uh, portraying them as as uh, as animals or worse than animals, as subhuman. Uh, it sometimes feels like we're fighting a lost cause. How do we respond, or how do we counter this behemoth uh, that's out there, this propaganda machine that uh, really is um, exercising a lot of control over the minds of ordinary people? Well, you know, as you said, there's a behemoth, there's a, there's a massive media machine mm. in the English-speaking world. But let's just remember, you've got an entire different world. Just take Al Jazeera, just take the headlines in Al Jazeera. None of them, not a single one of them, uh, of, on of the, I wouldn't even call them alternative media, just other media uh, that millions of people look to. They're not looking at it that way at all. They're not even reporting it that way. Yeah. Um, and so then we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Mm. Why not um, look at the rest of the world, look at the Arab world, look at the, uh, China, look at uh, other countries in Asia and Africa. What are they saying? And do they constitute the rest of the world? Mm. And very quickly you come to the conclusion, as often when they say the international community condemns, mm. but who is the international community? Europe? The, the, the handful of countries in Europe or the actual rest of the world? Mm. So really, really need to look at what do the rest of the world actually think. And then on top of that say that, here we may feel defeated, as in the, the, the language, but in the rest of the world, it doesn't feel like that. They know who the oppressor is. Yeah. Agreed, they are not united on what to do about it and mostly impotent. Uh, but I think they all, if you were to go onto the ordinary Arab street, even in the places where they've attempted to normalize Israel and ask them, what do you think about this conflict and who is the aggressor? They will say straight and without hesitation, Israel and Israel has been the aggressor mm. since its inception. Can I ask you about Keir Starmer actually? Because uh, again, a number of many Muslims, and I think maybe we spoke about this when we you were last on the show. Many Muslims uh, still hold out that their best bet is the Labour Party because the Labour Party tends to be more embracing of Muslims, and there are more Muslim parliamentarians uh, who belong to the Labour Party. But but again, the leadership of the Labour Party have uh, you know shamelessly come back, come on the side of, of Israel here, even those Muslims within the Labour. I mean, Sadiq Khan is, is a good example of that, have, you know, uh, hardly, have not commented on Israel and, and have, or on, on Palestine and, and, and talked about what is the genocide that's taking place in Palestine and, and have given their unreserved support to, to, to Israel. I mean, how do you assess the Labour Party uh, in you know, when it comes to the Muslim community and political engagement? Um, well, of course, over the past two decades, mostly during the war on terrorism, the left, uh, the traditional left, um, have supported the Muslims, of course. It's I mean, Corbyn was a very strong supporter. Indeed of, he yeah. was. Indeed yeah. he was of, of most uh, Muslim issues, but not necessarily others. Um, and one of the reasons why he's thrown out or attempt to, and, and there's a coup against him was his position. Yeah. on Palestine, yeah. was his position on Hamas, was his position on engagement um, and dialogue. And that's one of the reasons why they said he was unelectable. That's not true mm. because he had the largest 
mandate of anyone in terms of uh, membership of the Labour Party. Yeah. Uh, but it was because they could not stomach somebody who held those views on Palestine and Israel right. in his, Her Majesty's loyal opposition. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right? Yes. So Keir Starmer is the normalizer of Israeli uh, aggression against the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. He was asked just very recently, I think today, mm. um, about Israel has said that it will cut off the water supply yes. and food supplies and uh, electricity. And his response was, Israel has the right to defend itself, but that is not defense. Yes. That is a war crime. That is starving a population, an entire population, through collective punishment. Yes. So he's just expressed, as the former director of public prosecutions, a human rights lawyer, a human rights lawyer yeah. He's just expressed his intention or his uh, support of the intention of the Israelis to carry out war crimes. So I think somebody like him for a statement like that should be in the dock. I um, sent out on, um, on Twitter or X, I think they call it now, uh, yesterday, but I'm going to be interviewing you about the propaganda effort. And um, a number of uh, people spoke to me, DM'd me and said, you know, uh, can you ask Marzam, how do we... Uh, find a space to vocalize our disagreement with what's going on, in particular in the corporate space. Uh, they commented that in many of the big city firms, uh, you've got emails that are being sent around in support of, of Israel, um, condemning you know Hamas and condemning, in effect, the Palestinians and, and their, their cause. And um, you know, they feel constrained. They feel that if they were to even comment on this issue, they're going to be labelled and it's going to hamper maybe their careers. Um, you know, there is this fear, and I, I can see it, it's a palpable fear, it's a fear also uh, in the education system here where young Muslims find it very difficult to vocalise their support for Palestine. You know, how do we find a space where we can do and give justice to, to our brothers and sisters? One of the things with fear is that it's, it's often self-created. Mm. So when you say, I'm afraid of X, Y, Z happening, rightly so, but that's because you've told yourself. Um, what if you tell yourself, I'm not afraid? What if you, tell you, if you tell yourself, well, I'm going to say X, Y, Z and damn the consequence because I feel so passionately about this, damn the consequence. If they label me, if they target me, if they throw me out of my job, so what? Mm. I'm prepared to give. 
Somebody asked me this as a question in the mosque yesterday. I was doing a talk about this. Said, "What can we do?" Mm. And I said, "What are you prepared to do?" Mm. The question is, "What are you prepared to do?" And so, for example, you can see there are people who are mostly non-Muslims called pal-action, who carry out um, acts of dis- disobedience, sabotage even um, against Elbit systems, for example, who are arming the Israeli government for money, of course. Yes. Um, and using those weapons to kill Palestinians. These are defense companies. In defense yeah. companies. Yeah. So they are carrying out little acts of sabotage, throwing paint over the building or whatever it is. Mm. They get arrested, they get a slap on the wrist, they get a, a bit of a fine. But yeah. they're carrying out something that is disrupting the machinery that is killing Palestinians. Yeah. Um, for us, if we are too afraid even to make a tweet, too afraid to make a dua, to go to your mosque and say, say to the imam, can you please make dua for the mujahideen of Palestine? Mm. You don't have to say Hamas, you don't have to say any group at all. Say, oh, Allahumma ansurun mujahideen fi Palestine. Mm. Could you do that today? Because if you do that, because that dua then is going to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's whose help we need the most. But if you're too afraid even to do that, then you have to question yourself. What are you prepared to do then? Just put a little bit of money to an aid charity who says they're sending money to Gaza when Gaza is blocked off. So how is that money getting there? Mm. Gaza is entirely besieged. How is that money and aid actually getting there? So we have to be able to be think outside of the box and yeah. do things that we wouldn't normally want to do. And we have to be prepared sometimes to disrupt the system. And let's not forget, not every law is just or moral. It may be a law, but you know, uh, hiding uh, Jews during Nazi Germany was breaking, was uh, against the law. Mm. Uh, saving or protecting escaped slaves in America yeah. was against the law. And here, speaking out against the injustice of the Palestinians, if that's against the law, then we have to be prepared to break it. Yeah. I think that uh, a number of Muslims find it difficult. I mean, it, on my way in today, I was listening to uh, a talk show and um, a Muslim called up and, you know, he was trying his best. He was trying to express the Muslim view and give solidarity to Palestine. But, you know, as you know, the, these um, uh, these um, uh, radio anchors are, are very polished and, and, you know, this particular, with Sheila Fogarty, was able to make mincemeat out of him in inverted commas, you know, and, and pick holes in his argument. And, you know, the brother tried his best, but he just wasn't able to converse and, and express himself very well. So I think there is a need for some training here so that we understand, we get the arguments and we can fine tune the responses in a better way. So may, maybe if I ask you some questions and you tell me how we should respond to that. So if they, the question which always goes, perennial question, it's come up for every interview shamelessly sometimes, but do you condemn the actions of Hamas on Saturday? How would you respond to that? The question is the wrong question and I'm not forced to answer it. Hmm. You can't ask me to condemn something without condemning something that preceded it. Right. So if you begin the question and say to me, I condemn what Israel has done for the past 70 years against the innocent civilian Palestinians who have a far greater ability and history of killing civilians, you begin that as the premise, then I will say yes, because you are equal and understand and have established a principle, then I'm prepared to do that. But if you're not, don't ask me that question. The killing of civilians, Hamas deliberately targeted civilians in, in that action, over a thousand 
people died, many of them were civilians. And I think we have to we have to accept that that did happen. And so that places Hamas at a greater degree of immorality than, say, the Israeli army that supposedly precisely targets um, military infrastructure. I mean, you know, at least do you condemn the, the act of targeting civilians? I think one of the things that the Israeli government does has taught us how do we deal with the issue, issue of civilians. Mm. First of all, Muslims cannot allow their oppressor, their aggressor, their torturer, their murderer to become their teacher. So if the Prophet ﷺ has taught us not to target a certain group of people, including non-combatants, women, children, elderly, worshippers, then we follow that regardless of what the enemy does. Yeah. Okay? That, that's, the, that's the premise. That is what Hamas fighters I have seen have said and they claim to follow. So then if that is your uh, code of conduct, the killing of civilians outside of that either is done in opposition to because you have flagrantly disobeyed the laws of Islam or you've done it by mistake. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, the Israelis will say that we don't target civilians. Right. right. We don't target civilians, but his, this is what they say. They say that anybody, those schools and those hospitals and those universities are not universities and hospitals and schools. That is where the terrorists hide. Therefore, we will target them. So what they've done is they've circumvented and they've said, um, we've just said that those civilian places are not civilian places. What's your evidence for that? You don't have to give any. You've just said it. Mm -hmm. And then you've said that we will starve the entire population, cut off from the water, not just for Hamas, mm -hmm. but for everybody that lives there. So what you've said essentially is that we believe in the targeting of civilians. And so you're in no moral position to say to Hamas, you shouldn't target civilians, though I would say to Hamas, stick to the Quran and to the Sunnah about your, all of your engagement, because that's in the end where victory comes from. The argument that in effect, there is just no negotiation with Palestinians or with certain factions in the Palestinians and with Muslims at large, because fundamentally, we don't accept the presence of an Israeli state in the Middle East. Uh, Israel doesn't have a right to exist, they say. Um, um, I've seen, again, you know, lots of uh, radio broadcasters uh, confront Muslim callers with this. I mean, how would you respond to that? Israel has a right to exist, but not on Palestine. Mm -hmm. Because if you, your existence come from, it's a, it's a simple analogy, that you live in a house and you've lived there for hundreds of years or your family have and somebody comes along and says well actually my family was there 10,000 years ago when humankind began yeah. and now it's my house and if you don't get out from there uh, I will butcher all of you so we'll give you the garage you can go in the garage and stay there and every time you try to come back uh, we will tell the rest of the world that you are an abuser and that you are a terrorist and that you are uh, subhuman it's a very, because if you put it down to that level, a person can think about what if that happened in my house? It's a very simple thing. That's what Israel is. Yeah. Israel has, and, and one of the things that's really important, Nazism, Zionism, fascism were all born in Europe. These are all mm. European ideologies. They're not Arab or Muslim ideologies. They're not from Asia. They're not from the Middle East. They're from Europe. Europe carried out the pogroms, carried out the final solution against the Jews. Europeans did under European ideology. And then under European ideology, the displacement 
of the Palestinians happened and the uh, bringing in physically of people from uh, of a Jewish background and then filling and taking their land. Mm. That to this day has not been addressed. And the very people who facilitated that and presented that as a viable option are the same people who annihilated the Native Americans from their land. And to this day, they've not answered for that. They've not answered for the fact that they've uh, reduced the Native Americans to living on reservations on their own land. They've said, oh, it was a terrible thing, but they've not repaired it. And they cannot because it is a crime of history. Uh, and the acceptance of that is the acceptance of ethnic cleansing. There's a, a suggestion that um, uh, there is a, a, an Israeli claim, or in fact, there is, I find that many non-Muslims, they, because they don't deeply understand the conflict, understand the history, they have an impression that most of the inhabitants of Israel were there prior to the Nakba, prior to the establishment of the state, and that uh, they have an equal claim to that land, to that of Palestinian Muslims. Um, just shed some light on the citizens of Israel and where they're from, uh, because I, I really believe most people just don't understand the basic demography. So, so I was just looking at this um, recently. In 1517, 1.7% of the entire population of uh, the Holy Land were Jews. Right. Uh, up until the early part of the 20th century, uh, before the First World War, yeah. it was around 24,000. Right. After the Balfour Declaration and then the establishment of the State of Israel in 47, 48, they started to bring in tens of thousands. But only then, up until that time, it was about 84,000. Right. Uh, versus a population of several million Muslims and Arabs. Right. So it tells you, during that time and end up until now, they have brought in... Um, populations of different types of Jews from different parts of the world, from Russia, from Eastern Europe and beyond, and filled it, including Arab Jews. Right. And interestingly, Arab Jews who lived in harmony in Morocco, mm -hmm. in Yemen, in Iraq and so forth, when Zionism came along and said that you don't belong in those lands and there's a land for you, then the hatred was started to build mutually between both sides. Uh, whereas uh, Jews had lived and actually escaped from anti-Semitic Europe, uh, Britain and the rest of, of, uh, of Western Europe, where they were being literally tortured, murdered and killed. And they sought refuge and were given refuge in Andalus and in Ottoman uh, Turkey. Uh, but by the time Zionism started as a movement, once again, uh, the Jews felt like they didn't belong because Zionism told them, you don't belong. So what is their claim then to, to that land? Is it that thousands of years ago or whatever, the, the Jews lived on, on this land? Is that it? Essentially, that's it. There's ever been two times in the history of, of, of Judaism and mankind mm. wherever there was a, an Israeli homeland or a Jewish homeland. Right. One was the time of Dawood and Suleiman, which was two prophets, yeah. which is you know, Who knows? several yeah. thousands of years ago. Yeah. We don't know exactly when. Yeah. I don't think anybody knows exactly when. Yeah. And then 1948. Right. Prior to that, there's nothing. And even if you look in civilizational terms, um, different civilizations contribute different things yeah. to civilization. Not to say Jews haven't contributed, but there's no space for them. There's very little space. The only space they have to contribute from that time till now, up until 1948, 
is within Muslim lands, mm. uh, where they had rights as, as, as Ahlul Kitab, as people of the book. There is the anti-Semitism uh, label which is constantly applied to Muslims. You know, recently we had demonstrations in London um, against Israeli action in Gaza and, you know, inevitably the label anti-Semitism was used in, against them. Um, how do we escape that label? Do we have a problem in the way we use our uh, way we we uh, express our disagreement with the state of Israel and its actions? What, what's you know? How do we escape that? Well, let's just start religiously first. Mm. Um, the Quran is filled with verses that say, for example, Ya Bani Israel, inni, inni ma'al al mm. that O children of Israel, I preferred you and chose you over other people. So they were, we all believe them to be a chosen people. We believe them to be a special people. We believe them to be people of the book, and that's all within our scripture. Right. At the Battle of Uhud, uh, a rabbi, his name was Al-Mukhayriq, he took part in the Battle of Uhud as a Jewish leader on the side of the Muslims, and he was killed. And the Prophet described him as the best of the Jews. And what's interesting is that whatever money he had, he left behind to the Prophet who used it to start the first ever waqf for uh, Muslims to, to support the poor and the needy. Right. So this is just a little bit of the history of the time, the process of, of some Jews. Um, there were other, of course, incidents, but that's one of them. And historically speaking, religiously, Muslims never had a problem with Jews. The Christians did. The Christians actually believed that Jews facilitated the killing of their God, meaning Jesus. Mm. We've never believed that. And that's so therefore, religiously speaking, the term of anti-Semitism never existed amongst the Muslims, not primarily because Arabs are also from the sons of Sam. So they are Semites. Mm. But also the idea of anti-Semitism, as I said before, and I can't state enough, is a European idea. The hatred of the Jews, even here in England, the Jews were expelled by Edward I, the famous mm. conqueror of, the, of, of the, or the hammer of the Scots who fought Braveheart. Mm. Um, he expelled the Jews. They hated him that much. In the Tower of York, if you go into York, the Clifford Tower, it's still there. 150 Jews were gathered in there because an entire mob had, had um, come to kill them and they ended up either killing themselves or were killed. That happened in, the, in, in Britain. Um, and then throughout, you've got plays by Shakespeare in which he describes Shylock as this character who wants his pound of flesh uh, because he's so bloodthirsty. Mm. He, he, that's the embodiment of a Jew at the time of Shakespeare and continued to the point at which, as I said, the final solution was developed by Europeans against European Jews. Where did the Muslims come in all of this? Yes. Every time the Muslims saved them and then they come to Palestine en masse and then displace the very people who saved them throughout history. So you could envisage a time in the future, inshallah, where Muslims have taken back that land and Jews live side by side with Muslims. I, I, I think about it all the time. I imagine that how Jews are living because they're people of the book. And, you know, the Quran says, Ya Kitab, listum ala Torah. Oh, people of the book, you're, you're not on anything until you establish the Torah and the Injil. So such people are welcomed. And that's why you'll find the Orthodox, which I find really odd. I consider myself, and I'm sure you do consider yourself to be an Orthodox Muslim. Mm -hmm. But in Judaism, or modern Judaism rather, the Orthodox are seen to be, you know, the slightly more extreme uh, religious people. Mm. Well, mean, which means they're just the normal religious people. Mm. Most of them don't support the state of Israel. Really? Most of the Orthodox Jews, to repeat again, 
do not support the state of Israel. Yeah. The Home Secretary in the UK sent out a memorandum to the various police forces suggesting that waving the Palestinian flag could potentially be uh, an, an illegal act because uh, uh, Hamas is outlawed in this country and somehow there is a connection between the Palestinian flag and Hamas. Now, why do you think she felt the need to do that? Well, I think that's a, a, a very dangerous thing to do. First of all, it's an internationally recognized flag. Right. It's the flag of the Palestinian people, not just of Gaza. Yeah. So that means it includes um, uh, the West Bank, uh, East Jerusalem, and representative of Palestinians. But what this, the, I think, will entirely fail, because the attempt then would to, to not even, this is not even about Hamas. Hamas has its own flag, by the way. Mm. Um, this is not even Gaza. This is now all Palestinians. So um, I think if I think she wouldn't be able to do this, I don't think it will have to work. Yeah. But the fact of throwing it out there is a scare tactic. Right. It's attempt to frighten people. And there are those who hear something that a politician has said it, therefore they assume it to be law, um, who will capitulate in front of that. Uh, my personal view is I'm not a big I'm not big on flag waving regardless of whatever flag they are. Mm -hmm. But if I was to be a flag waver. I'd be running around picking up flags and waving them right in front of Suela Braverman. Um, uh, again, it's back to a question I asked you when uh, we last spoke. Um, many young Muslims may decide to wear Palestinian flags or wear the Palestinian scarf to school. And um, from we know from uh, from recent history that a number of them were uh, were presented to prevent uh, for for just that symbolic action. Um, you know, do you advise them to be careful about this symbolic act of resistance or would you suggest that they, they go ahead and, uh, and do it? I would think that they should speak to their schools oh. because there should be a relationship between the school and the pupil that goes beyond just uh, education. There should be trust. There should be understanding. Yeah. There should be an ability. After all, there is all of this... Um, you know, uh, for the child to be who he wants to be or she wants to be or it wants to be, yes. um, well, believing in your political beliefs is also a part of that. Right. So my diplomatic way for, for them is to approach the school, sit down and talk to them about it. We'd like to hold an event. Uh, we'd like to talk. We'd like to be able to wear these scarves. We'd like to be able to um, show solidarity, do fundraising for those affected um, by the, by the, uh, the, the, uh, the starvation and so forth, and begin from that premise. If they are outlawed, if they are told that they cannot do it, um, then they can escalate that if they wish to. But I don't think anybody should simply say, well, I can't do that because they have said so in the guidelines. Um, the law allows you freedom of expression, and that's the most basic um, premise that you can begin with. Awesome. Tell me about, um, because Palestine isn't just Muslims. There are Christians in in Palestine, and um, often uh, they are forgotten in in this in this conflict. Um, how are the Christians treated by the Israelis? So let's remember, you know, there have been a very prominent Christians within the uh, Palestine resistance movement. For example, Hanan Ashrawi was the spokesman for the PLO for many many years. She's a Christian, uh, the, the the founder of the Popular Front for the Revelation, Liberation of Palestine. George Habash was also a Christian, but there are Christians in Gaza, several thousand in the West Bank mm -hmm. and in East Jerusalem, of course, where all the Holy Sepulchre and all the Christian um, places exist. Yeah. 
they're all brutalized. They get mistreated just as much. In fact, I think sometimes worse than the Muslims. And right. that is because extreme Jews believe um, Christians or many of the Christians to be idolaters. And they believe that um, when Jesus السلام, uh, came, that he came and he was a, a rebel to the Jewish cause mm -hmm. and was outside of their fold. Right. So there's a, there's a, a religious historical hatred. And you can see that manifest sometimes. You may have seen recent images of Christians walking past with the cross and Orthodox Jews or, or just Jews walking past spitting mm. right in front of them as they describe that to be a tradition because of how they view Christ and Christians. Um, so it's important that we recognize this. And as I said before, it doesn't matter whether you're Christian, Muslim, secular, liberal, believe in the one-state solution, two-state solution, Islamist or whatever. If you believe in resistance against occupation uh, by, the, by the Zionist state, you will be deemed to be a terrorist. So why do Christians in America, the evangelicals, support, so vehemently support uh, the Israeli cause? I would like to say, to be generous to them, that they don't know what they're doing. Hmm. Um, and just as an example, literally two days ago, uh, the Israelis bombed and destroyed one of the oldest uh, churches in the region that's 1,600 years old wow. in Gaza. They destroyed it. Really? Now, all of that is happening continuously. And as you said, the uh, evangelical Christians and beyond support the Zionist state of Israel. If you look back in history, when the Crusaders came, and I think it was on the fourth crusade, they didn't actually make it all the way to uh, Jerusalem. They went as far as uh, um, the Byzantine Constantinople, mm. and they sacked and destroyed the land of their Christian brothers, mm. meaning the Eastern Orthodox. And so I think that they have thrown their Christian Orthodox brothers and sisters under the Zionist bus because of their belief in and support of the state of Israel. Finally, Mazam, um, I get the impression that a number of Muslims are quite weird out. They're quite weary about um, just how dire things seem to be around the Muslim world um, and just how much the Palestinian issue has, uh, has you know, is now you know, a, a fringe issue in, in many ways. And even those so-called progressive supporters of Palestine, uh, because of the actions last Saturday or, you know, superficially because of the actions last Saturday, are, are now questioning, you know, the, the Palestinian cause. And so there is this feeling that uh, of hopelessness, maybe, that has crept into uh, some Muslim activism. Um, is that, a, uh, is that a, a good place to be? really, as, as Muslims? No, Muslims should always uh, feel hopeful. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as one of the examples I often give from Guantanamo, you know, I, I recently met um, members of the Taliban who were held in Guantanamo with me on, on a visit to Afghanistan. Yeah. And one question I asked them was, was uh, did you ever think that you would one day be seated in power as a senior minister? Right. And he said, um, I never lost hope. Not a single day. Right. In fact, I fully believe that we'd be back. I didn't think we'd be in government, but I believe we'd be back. Yeah. So um, I think it's important that we stick to the Islamic principle of uh, Allahumma al-Malik al-Mulk. Oh Allah, you are the 
king of kings you give your dominion to whoever you wish and you remove it from whoever you wish and you honor who you wish and you debase who you wish so really in the end muslims should hold true to that belief that in the end allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that decides all we have to do is our best Awesome, Beg. Jazakallah khair for your time today. Thank Allah you very much. Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website, thinkinmuslim.com, to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.